Blog Talk Radio. As we continue on Chicago's Legal Latte, um, naturally we get together as frequently as we can with the attorneys from Laval Law to talk about different topics uh, of law and business and uh, things that uh, will be impacting uh, uh, consumers, individuals, families, and uh, corporate entities. Uh, and we're, right now we're in the midst of a short series dealing with the impact of COVID-19, and uh, we're going to continue the conversation that we started yesterday. Uh, this is uh, Jim Mitchell back with you again. And uh, as we had in our most recent conversation, uh, the managing partner of Laval Law, Ted McGinn, is here, and one of the shareholders from the firm, Lancey Bell, is here. And we're going to talk today specifically about the Families First Act. A lot to cover. So first of all, before we dive in, uh, Ted, Lance, um, how are you guys doing? Everyone well and uh, keeping busy under the current uh, situation? We're certainly keeping busy. Uh, many of our lawyers are working remotely, though. I mean, we want to try to, you know, comply with the spirit of, uh, you know, the, the, the social distancing, and, and but we are uh, keeping busy. And just to, to be clear there, the, uh, in, in the governor's uh, work here um, in Illinois, a law firm is considered, I guess, what, what, what considered an essential service, so uh, technically you guys are doing your best to, to be available for people as they need you? Yeah, I mean, we are considered an essential service under the under Governor Pritzker's uh, order to shelter in place, but, uh, you know, we had been working remotely even before that, just in anticipation of everything that's happening. But, you know, we're doing our best to keep available. We do have attorneys here in the office, but most of our lawyers are working remotely. Well, let's, um, let's dig in here a little bit and talk about uh, one particular uh, act that was put in place a week or two ago, um, which is the Families First Act, and this was done at, uh, at the federal level. Um, can one of you start with just a, a kind of a brief overview of uh, what this entailed? Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and before we jump in again, I just want to state at the outset that we understand that, uh, that employers are going to factor many non-legal issues when they decide how to manage their employees, whether to take action. You know, in these trying times, you, uh, you know, companies have to decide. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, cash flow is not there. They're going to make hard decisions, and, and there's definitely many non-legal factors that are considered. Mm-hmm. But uh, but getting back to the Families First Act. Uh, that's a uh, an act that was passed to try to, uh, to 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 require employers to provide certain paid time off, additional paid time off to those employees that have been directly impacted by the coronavirus. And uh, Lance, you deal directly with a lot of uh, employers and, and clients. You've uh, built quite a practice over the years. Are you been have you been seeing a lot of questions and things coming up from employers about this yet, or has it really not started to sink in? I think part of it hasn't started to sink in. We got a lot of calls kind of right after it passed, and, and the hardship that kind of we had with it was the act said certain things, but then it left it to the Department of Labor to implement tighter rules on those things and also actually set a starting date for the legislation, which is now April 1st. So, I mean, technically, even though the act passed, it's not effective until next Wednesday, I believe. However, it is interesting, though, that it is effective pretty quickly, relatively speaking, after the passage of the of the statute. I mean, typically, you'd expect employers to have time to, to anticipate, to try to review, understand what the rules are, 
this is really moving very quickly, relatively speaking. And so I think that's presenting, you know, a lot of problems, a lot of uncertainty out there. But, but yeah, Lance is correct. April 1st is the effective date of this new act. Now, can you start to dig into it a little bit and, and describe uh, certain elements of the act and, and what it's going to require of employers, uh, perhaps in the areas of uh, uh, sick leave? Yeah, well, first of all, it applies to employers with 500 or less employees, which, uh, you know, as you can imagine, that captures, uh, uh, you know, a pretty wide number of employers out there. So that's the first kind of, uh, you know, issue you look at. You know, is it applicable to the employer or not? And then 500 or less, then you have to comply. And uh, I, I don't know if you would know this, I'm, and I'm, because I'm, I'm just reading today the summary of uh, what's going on in Washington with uh, sort of the bailout provisions, which is a separate issue. But I noticed that included uh, not-for-profit organizations as well. Do you happen to know when you talk about employers here, is it just for-profit or not-for-profits included as well? Uh, it does capture the non-for-profits as well, so it doesn't you know carve them out either. Okay. All right. So, um, so we talk about sick leave. There, there's a number of things. There's, there are people who are impacted, who are home sick from this disease, who are um, home uh, self-quarantined now or actually uh, shelter in place. And then there are people who are out or have been out to, to care for others who are sick. So how, how does the act sort of separate and address those different circumstances? Go ahead and take that, Lance. So basically the act lists out essentially six potential reasons to obtain leave, um, one of it which would be if there's a quarantine in effect by the federal, state, or local authorities. Obviously that's present in Illinois. Um, if they've been advised by a health advisor to self-quarantine, if they have symptoms and are seeking a medical diagnosis, um, caring for an individual that has is subject to a quarantine or has been advised, and then you have five, which is caring for a child when child care is not available or schools are closed. And then six is kind of the, what I'll call a catch-all, is experiencing any other substantially similar condition. So depending on which of these you fall into, you may be eligible for one or more different types of leave because the act as passed and enacted has two separate components of leave. Now, when you go through those six reasons, um, as you mentioned, number one, uh, quarantine by state or federal organization, we're, we're in that now. So effectively, would you say that uh, you know any employee in a, in a company of less than 500 employees in the state of Illinois that's not in that essential services category is pretty much already covered under this? That would be pretty accurate, yes. I mean, even a person that's in an essential service could still use the PTO provision. Um, you know, the essential service provision of the Governor's Act only permits certain people to continue their jobs and work. Um, however, this act would still cover those people. You know, for example, if a person, if a lawyer here um, invoked any of these for paid time off, we would have to honor that, notwithstanding the fact we're considered an essential service. And in terms of how this will all be tracked and, uh, and records kept and, uh, you know, verifying things, does this all fall to the uh, employer, to their HR department, to adhere to the rules and, and be accountable? Unfortunately, yes. 
Uh, that's a significant uh, significant thing for them to take on for sure. Um, one thing I want to let me if I could jump in real quick, Jim, real quick. Uh, you know, there is a provision that deals with or provides uh, a right for employers who feel that you know the applicability of this is going to jeopardize the viability of their business. They may have a right to apply for an exemption. Now, I think we're still awaiting regulations and details on on how a small business can apply for that exemption and what would qualify and but that's something else we're kind of kind of waiting because as you can imagine this could create a um, you know significant hardship on some of those small employers out there yeah and just to follow up on what Ted said that exemption is only um, available to companies of 50 or fewer employees okay so a, a greater delineation there than than the general uh, precepts of the act um, we're, we're talking with some of the folks from Lavelle Law today, and uh, conversation goes by in a hurry when we're getting into topics like this. So as uh, they mentioned already, uh, offices are open, and calls can be made to 847-705-7555 if you have questions, and I'm sure many of you do and will in the weeks ahead. Um, now, we're sort of talking general terms here that, that – um, extended family leave, paid sick leave, things must take place. Are there limits on the amount um, that the employers are responsible for? Is this uh, full and regular wages, or uh, how is that handled in terms of what the employee will receive? So it's kind of split up two ways. So you have an expansion of just general leave law, which is on one hand, and on the other hand you have an expansion of the Family Medical Leave Act on the other. Each has different requirements, each has different payment amounts. Um, so for the, the, I'll call it the expanded paid time off, not the FMLA type, it, it's, you have to work, you're granted 80 hours, essentially two weeks of work. Um, however, you know, if you have a full-time employee that's 35 hours, it might go longer than 10 days. So it's, it's 80 hours um, and you have to pay them at the either their regular rate of pay, but that regular rate of pay is capped at $511 per day. Um, so if you had somebody, and I believe the breakdown on the salary on that is essentially it's $132,000 a year. So if you had somebody making less than $132,000 a year, you would pay them their normal wages. If you had somebody making more than $132,000 and some change, they're capped at $511 per day for 80 hours or, you know, 10 days if it's a regular eight-hour shift. FMLA leaves a little bit different. Um, another carve-out, but the FMLA is capped at two-thirds or $200 per day. The overlap between the two is that under the expanded paid time off, not the FMLA, if a person takes that, those 10 days subject to their child not being in school or not having available child care, they do not get the full wages or the $511. They get the two-thirds or $200. So there's even a variation within the expanded paid time off for what you're taking the paid time off for, and then real quick, for part-time people, you have to average their hours to figure out what their average hours per day are, and then you would pay them on that basis. I think that about covers and, it. And, well, that, that, you know, there's a lot of questions that will follow there. And, and again, I, um, 
encourage people to call you because a few other things I want to hit here before we can, you know, let you go. But um, with all of this happening, I, in my head I'm hearing, okay, the employer is responsible for all this. Is the federal government providing assistance to help cover costs to the employer, or is this um, something the employer is responsible for solely? Yeah, the way they, they're going to help out is they're going to allow employers to take a credit against uh, uh, some of their employment taxes. I, I don't know, Lance, you want to add to that, but that's how the, the federal government is going to help out. Yeah, the exact way it's going to work out is um, essentially, you know, everybody play, pays employment taxes based on the amount of wages they pay to any employee. And so anytime you make any of these payments to an employee based on either the expanded FMLA or the expanded paid time off, you'll get a, a direct dollar-for-dollar dollar credit for what you paid. Um, it, practically, I guess, how that works and, and how the Department of Labor has kind of set the example is, you know, if, if you assume for a moment that you owed 10000 in payroll taxes and of that $10,000, you 5000 of it was payroll taxes on people that were invoking some sort of leave, you'd only have to pay the $5,000 in taxes even though it shows you owing ten. So... You could actually, there's actually situations in which you could actually have a credit due from the taxing authority, in which case you have to apply for an expedited refund or credit. Now, I know, just, uh, now I know we're getting short on time. The one thing I think is kind of interesting right. that I to kind of talk about real quick is, you know, those employers that, you know, are understanding that this is going to be applicable uh, very soon, employers taking action now and laying off employees or terminating employees. I, you know, I don't know, Lance, you want to comment on retaliatory discharge on, on that notion? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, FMLA has its own retaliation provision, so I'm not going to touch on that too much. What's interesting is with the expanded paid time off provision, the, the 10 days, um, they've basically looped this in under the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, which generally has to do with wages, and that's how they're treating these extra days. Um, and one thing that they did pull in is if you know if you have an employee that requests to take this this extra paid time off, you cannot retaliate against them for that request by terminating them, demoting them, taking any adverse employment action against them, or you're subjected to Fair Labor Standards Act penalties. Uh, and damages, which can be pretty steep. So the takeaway is important. Well, gentlemen, I'm, I'm actually going to stop you there, and um, perhaps we'll set up a further conversation, but uh, 847-705-7555 to talk to the attorneys at Lavelle Law. We thank you for listening and look forward to bringing more information to you soon. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.